13 and 14. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Welcome. Thanks for having your patience with me today. This started out as just, oh, I, I took a couple of studies from Esther, Pastor Stephen. I really love Esther. And, and here I am. <laughs> so uh, take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I hope that some of it will stick. Um, I wasn't here last week, so I don't know exactly where you guys uh, left off in the stories of Refuge and Esther, but I'm just going to recap up to the uh, passage that we were at today. So um, in a recap, remember that Mordecai adopted this girl named Esther, who was his daughter's, uh, who was the daughter of his uncle, and so they were cousins. Uh, old Queen Vashti, she disrespected King Xerxes, so he excommunicated or deposed her. Uh, King Xerxes searches for a new queen in all of the land, so he gathers all the girls and concubines, and this harem of girls gets to go through 12 months of beauty treatment. Any of you who've been through treatments know that beauty is painful. Uh, these girls got anything they wanted, they were treated very well, and then they were paraded one by one in front of the king. But Esther won the favor of the king. King Xerxes gave a huge banquet in Esther's honor and proclaimed a holiday in the whole land. So it was this big celebration. Uh, the whole time, Esther kept her family background and nationality a secret because she was really a Jew. Uh, Mordecai, her cousin, uncovers a conspiracy of the guards that they're going to kill the king. And so Mordecai tells Queen Esther of what's happening, this big plot happening. And um, so then Esther gets to go tell the king, her husband, and she gives Mordecai the credit. Well, uh, in the meantime, there's evil Haman, who, uh, <clears throat> he's the enemy of the Jews. And he gets promoted to this really high power position. And of course, he takes it to his head. And he's all powerful and just all about himself. And he decides, when one day he goes to the gate and being a gate guardsman is a privilege and so Mordecai gets that privilege back because he alerted him and they were able to kill the people who were going to um, have this big plot to kill the king. So he's back at his post but Haman who's angry he, he comes to uh, the gate and Mordecai refuses to bow to him because he doesn't think he deserves that position of power. 
And so Haman is just furious and decides instead of just killing Mordecai, he's going to kill the entire race of Jew people. And so um, all so so then Haman, what he does is he convinces the king using his big power position that he has now that they need to make a law, um, and this this is an irrevocable law. So the law is that all people of Persia will annihilate Jews, whether they're men, women, or children. This public violence, murder, and pillage are about to be unleashed, all because of Haman's wounded pride. Uh, Mordecai and Esther, they use a messenger to get messages back and forth to each other because here's Esther living in the uh, palace. She's the queen, and Mordecai, uh, who they share the same nationality, but he's down at the gate. And as soon as he hears, you know, what's happening, they want to get messages back and forth to each other. Um, living these different lives, uh, they have to use a messenger then to get the messages back and forth. But one of Mordecai's messages, which we read about today, um, Mordecai... He, he firmly hands Esther's, he puts his firm hands on Esther's shoulders, and he's basically shaking the passivity out of her into action. And um, so as a member of the hated race, minority race, um, sad and lonely, she doesn't have parents, remember she was an orphaned girl, uh, lives in exile in a foreign land, untutored by formal education. Esther has been reared and trained by her older cousin, Mordecai. And in God's providence, this teenage orphan, she was thrust into being into the royal court of Persia. As it's stated there in Esther 4.14, and who knows but you have come to a royal position at such a time as this. This is the most famous part of the book of Esther. Um, all the unusual events in her life led her to this point. And in my study of Esther's, um, I came to understand a paramount theme in Esther, which was what God can do when we resolve to obey him. So today, we arrive at the verse where there's trouble in paradise. King Xerxes waited so long to summon his wife, Queen Esther, like 30 days. And in the time, it was considered an act of treason to infringe on this etiquette. So, ladies, can you imagine having to be waited, having to wait to be summoned by your husband? Uh, for those of us that are married, what if your husband finally calls and you are commanded to drop everything? <laughs> Go regardless of how you feel or what you're doing. This was Esther's life. At first, Esther was passive and obedient and silent. But when her cousin sends her this message to wake up out of this passivity, uh, he uses really forceful language to shake her out of that and into action. He shakes her by one shoulder saying, if you go before the king, you'll die because remember, you're a Jew. 
pastor and says, this is figuratively because again they weren't near each other, this was through the messenger, uh, he grabs her and says, but if you don't do anything, think about what happened to Queen Vashti. She was deposed and she, you know, she disobeyed what the king wanted before. So she has to think of it like a scale. So here's this one decision. Should she go and tell the king um, that, you know, this is not good? Or should she just sit by and, read and not do anything? And I know that we've all had those points in our life where we come to a point and we're like, I could just do nothing and my life would just be okay. But sometimes we're called into action. And it's important for us to do that. So though perhaps uh, not as far-reaching an influence as Esther, we each are what God has made us in our own respective circle of opportunities. Uh, in opportunity lies the test of character. Though we usually think of affliction as the major test of a character, in Esther's case, prosperity and fame, being the queen of Persia, were her testing ground. So in his push, in his shape, what really, some of the really poignant questions that he asked her, Mordecai asked Esther, were, please consider, what if you were born for this very moment? Think how unlikely your position is. Why is a Jew the queen of Persia? What about all the events in your life that have led you to this queenship? Why on earth did we not go to Jerusalem when we could? Why was Vashti deposed? Why were you at the exact right age, at the exact right time, to be chosen for the harem? Why, amid so many girls, were the eunuchs so partial to you? Why did they go out of their way to help you? More astonishingly, why did the king have such favor for you? Why didn't he just make you one of his concubines? What in the world made him marry you and set the crown on your head? Open your eyes. Why is a Jewish woman the queen of Persia? Must it not be providence? Must it not be God? Mordecai believed that Esther was placed in the king's household by divine appointment to do God's timely work. He passionately pleaded with Esther to put her life on the line because he believed in the promises of God. He watched the power and faithfulness of God unfold over the years. Mordecai understood that it is not failure that brings despair but unfaithfulness and idleness. So we can glean several things from Mordecai in this example. Uh, so if, if we get overlooked for affirmation or promotion, so be it. If we get elevated and celebrated, so be it. Let's just do our jobs. Mordecai shows us how to have a walk with God so close that the spotlights of the world 
be they for us or against us, are eclipsed by God's enormous shadow cast on our path. So he's very humble, and God loves a humble person. Some things that we can learn from Esther. There's um, an overarching theme, and excuse me men, but this is for women. It's tough being a woman. So there's seven tenets to that. Um, bear with me while I read a few verses here. Uh, the first one being that women are often overshadowed. Women, would you agree? Give me an amen. Amen. <laughs> We're often in another woman's shadow, too. So the first verse that uh, goes along with that is Psalm 91. have them tapped, but it'll just take me a second here. Uh, 91.1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Okay? Uh, the second tenet, underrated. In a world where beauty is a treatment, we can look at Ecclesiastics uh, 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He also has eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The other tenet is being overwrought. We live in a mean world. And find that one. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1:18 and 19. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight for the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. We're also underqualified. <laughs> right here is the time of this for me. <laughs> underqualified. We're thrown this giant weight. Uh, this is in 1 Peter. This is how we can solve this. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Remember some of our great verses that bring us back. Or also Deuteronomy. Have a good one. Deuteronomy 23.5. Okay, here we go. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Number five, under attack. Sometimes all of us are under attack. And I know that I met with some friends last night, and I know that many of us are under attack right now. Um, we, we're right in the fist of fear. But here's some verses that can help us with that. Deuteronomy again. 
Deuteronomy 
over anxiety and she was over responsible. She felt like she was overshadowed, underrated, underqualified. She reversed all of that. So uh, she knows that trust reverses the detours of adversity into the highways of destiny. So this is not my quote. This is a direct quote from Beth Moore, the study that we did. Um, but I'll say it again. So trust reverses the detours of adversity into the highways of destiny. So if we trust in the Lord, he can be there for us. Some other observations of Esther. She submitted to God when she needed to. She did. She didn't abuse her authority. She loved God. Her faith was strong. She displayed courage. She showed humility. She had patience. And she interceded on her people's behalf, just like Jesus did for us. He gave up his life so we could have life. And now, relating the study of Esther up to this point, there's still a few more. I'm not sure, like I said, if you went past this last week or not. Uh, but if you haven't read the story of Esther, continue it. It's a great story. Um, but for now, to relate it to our stories of refuge um, that Steve, Pastor Stephen has been in for the several, several weeks now, we can learn that Mordecai and Esther, that they can illuminate and encourage us believers. There's lamenting. It's a release of emotions or acknowledgement of a painful situation. When Mordecai wore sackcloth and ashes and was crying and weeping in the streets when he learned that his whole people was going to be annihilated, um, that is lamenting. He, he took part in that. And that's important. Prayer and fasting. Mordecai and Esther, they seek divine intervention. And we learn from our verses, be anxious in nothing. Fasting is important here because I don't know if you remember, but Stephen mentioned that in the book of Esther, the word God is never mentioned in the whole Bible, the whole book of Esther. Uh, but rather, it does talk about lamenting and fasting and prayer. Uh, these things are of God. So we were never called to fast just to fast. Hey, I'm going to fast, right? We're called to fast. We would afford no food to deny everything else but God. And that that's really important to know that that's what that's what they did back then. That, that says God, if anything says God, right there. It indicates prayer. Esther and the Jews of Susa went out without food so they could wholeheartedly focus their petitions on God. And the last part is solidarity. So we need collective action from everyone. Uh, just like sometimes women feel overwhelmed when they feel like they have to solve the problem themselves. But we're all together. We can all do it together. We all have a role to play. So Esther had our, she had her opportunity and we have ours. A difficult and dangerous human task is no excuse for failing to perform divinely assigned duties.
I can remind myself of that today. <clears throat> God chooses us where to serve. We choose, as Esther did, whether or not to respond to that obedience to the call. In conclusion, the call of the Lord should be loud and clear for us all. It's okay to express our pain and lament. It's okay to come together in solidarity and pray with each other like we do here. It's okay to courageously risk our lives for the lives of others. When we resolve to obey God, nothing is impossible for God. We all have our part to play. We are called in various ways for such a time as this. Amen.